Hi guys, my name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey, welcome to episode 67. Thank you so much for listening to Legally Clueless Podcast. Remember, you can follow this podcast on Instagram. That's Legally Clueless Podcast. And shout out to everybody on Twitter who is referring the podcast, tweeting about it. Use the hashtag Legally Clueless so I can find your tweets because I'm actually actively trying to respond to each and every one of you. Thank yous done. <laughs> now on to disclaimers. I don't know what in the world is happening in my neighborhood. Actually, for the last couple of Sundays, maybe it's linked to people being home more, but the noise. Hey! Today I woke up to some, somebody was trimming their lawn with a lawnmower somewhere. And then we have new neighbors who are moving into the apartment opposite ours. So they decided to drill <laughs> God knows what on a Sunday. Ah! So I've been like recording this for so long because I have to keep stopping. My my neighbor below us decided to pump water and it gives off this horrible sound. Ugh. So just a disclaimer, man. <laughs> Full of woken up with noise today. However, I do hope that you've had a decent week. Shout out to those who are starting to go back to their offices. I have a friend, I spoke to her this week. She has just moved back to working from the office and the anxiety and the paranoia is so real. <laughs> She's just like, I'm not ready for this. Yeah, so I hope you guys are taking care of yourselves if you're moving back to working from the office or wherever you are. Just put your mental well-being first. Oh, I also have some really good news. So this week on Wednesday, the 24th of June, my initiative has teamed up with Wild and Facebook and we're hosting a free workshop. Yeah. So it's really meant to be only for registered members of my initiative, but I'm just like, anybody can come. And so the workshop is to help young business owners figure out digital strategies, especially during this pandemic, because most businesses now have to rely on online platforms to reach their customers, to sell their products, and some really just don't even know where to start. So Wednesday, 24th of June at 10 a.m., we have the virtual workshop happening. I'll put the link to it in the description box. All you have to do is register. It's free, but you have to register. So today, because I record on Sundays, so whenever you're listening to this, just know I recorded it on Sunday, the 21st of June, which also happens to be Father's Day. Mm -hmm. So I talk about my late mom a lot. Like <laughs> if one week goes by without me talking about her on my social media platforms or just like in my various WhatsApp groups, eh, then maybe I'm sick. I mean, I just think it's because she had such an influence over my life and she was my best friend. So I don't feel any shame about it. And she raised us as a single mom. But I realized that whenever I do talk about my mom, especially on Facebook, Facebook sometimes has some strange individuals. There is like members of the boy child brigade who come and are just like, you never show your dad this any attention. You wouldn't be here without him. And there was a point when those comments used to irk me and they used to really get me angry. I wouldn't respond to them, though. I just quickly delete before I start typing a response. I'm like, let me just delete ASAP. 
<laughs> before I start trying to clap back at the stranger. But I think they got me angry, not really at the stranger, but it was probably displaced anger. It was anger maybe that I had towards my dad. Because my dad, so first his name was Richard and he was a horrible husband. He was a really horrible man to my mom. He was violent on multiple occasions. He was terribly unkind to her. He also had a major alcohol problem. I think deep down, I always wanted him to be this perfect father, right? So you know, the father that you see in sitcoms that you joke with and whatever. And he would, there were some small moments where I could sense there was some good in him. Like I remember he used to really like tickling me, like when he'd come home from work or from the bar. And I used to laugh, even though it was painful as hell, because this guy just, I don't know. I'm very ticklish, so but I, what I do remember it was like it was more painful than it was ticklish. But I used to laugh, and so I think I, I would take those small moments and escalate them, exaggerate them in my head because I wanted him to be this perfect man. And I remember for very many years, even until probably maybe two years ago, I used to say, oh, my dad was a horrible husband, but he was a great dad. And it was only through therapy when we got to that chapter... <laughs> I realized that he wasn't a great dad and I was trying to force him into this character that he really wasn't. I don't really consider myself sad about not having grown up with my dad present for most of my years because, okay, so first my mom and dad separated, not even separated, divorced when I was in class six, seven, around there. And then it was just my mom and us, so we're three girls, in case, you know, you haven't listened to other episodes where I talk about my sisters, but yeah, so we're three girls, and it was just us and my mom. My mom's brothers, my uncles were really present in terms of being like father figures, so I I didn't feel a gap, and even when my mom and dad were together, it wasn't like my dad was present all the time, right? And And the moments where he was, he was either really drunk or being very violent. So anything was better than that, even if it was his absence. And better even in terms of like a healthy space for kids to grow up in. So I was never sad about him not being in our lives. And we never lacked. I don't know how my mom did it because we don't come from a wealthy background. And you can imagine one woman, my dad was not helping financially, So you can imagine one woman raising three kids alone and we never lacked anything, never ever lacked school fees, like we never missed a day of school. We were doing extracurricular activities. So I remember for the longest time I was doing piano classes until I got bored of that teacher because she used to hit my fingers with (laughs) byros. And I just remember thinking, what the heck is my mom paying for me to be tortured here? So I quit. Um... (laughs) Classic last bone behavior. <laughs> you know, we, we were in the swimming team, which was hectic, like competitive swimming. My sister and I, so the sister I follow, we never once lacked money to go on those swimming trips either to Mombasa or like to Zambia or South Africa. My mom always made it happen. Sometimes I look back and I'm just like, was that woman a magician? <laughs> or oh, what exactly was happening? And... 
she never once, even throughout that time, you can imagine later on when she got diagnosed with breast cancer, you know, she was still taking us through university while paying for her chemotherapy and her treatment. And never once did she ever show that she was overwhelmed. And I know, especially now that I'm an adult, I know that there must have been times where she was overwhelmed. She was only human, but I, I never saw it. I never saw it. She always just had the smile. Even when things were thick, she always communicated either with her words or her demeanor that, you know, she was going to find a way out and that we were going to be okay. And she got criticized a lot for her parenting style, which was more conversational. Obviously, yes, I did get disciplined like <laughs> when I was younger, because even me, I used to do like the most. <laughs> Oh, we need to do an episode about <laughs> dumb things we did as kids. But I did get disciplined, but it was more, her parenting style was more conversational and more meeting you at your level and showing your kids respect as well, which in most typical African households is not really the case, especially for our generation. So she got criticized a lot for that. She got criticized a lot for being a single mom. So when you think about church circles, it's like, hmm, why, why are you divorced? I remember when she got shortlisted to join the National Cohesion Commission and they were doing background researches on everybody who was nominated to be part of this commission. They called Kisumu, which is, you know, the town where my mom spent many years of her life at a point to find out why she was divorced. Why is she a single mom? And Maki, at this point, my dad is long dead. <laughs> and I'm just like, what the hell? Like, instead of looking at this woman's education, experience, you're trying to figure out, but yeah, she has all of these papers, but why is she a single mom? So there was a lot of criticism just by virtue of her being a single mom. It's almost like those entities didn't even give a damn that she was doing a stellar job at raising her kids alone. And so, you know, I don't really suffer from dad envy. It's something that Val, my best friend, brought up a few episodes ago when she shared a story of growing up in a violent home and having a dad who her and her dad do not have any relationship right now. And she talks about having dad envy. I realize, especially today, when you go on social media and you see everybody celebrating their dads, I think it's pretty cool when people are celebrating their dads and it doesn't make me envious at all because I know things would have been much worse if my mom forced herself to stay with him. So I'm just like, hey, kind of had a really cool dad too <laughs> in the form of a single mom. And obviously my uncles behind the scenes. But I do want to send virtual hugs to people experiencing dad envy because that is a thing to people who have lost their dads. They've passed away. I know a few people personally and so I know how Mother's Day affects me. So I can only imagine what Father's Day is for you. And I'm so sorry. And I also want to send like fist bumps to all the dads who are listening and are actively trying to be the very best fathers for their children. I've been thinking about parenthood a lot because I'm about to be an aunt, like a proper aunt, not those ones of just forcing issues. <laughs> And I'm just like, whoa, we really need to work hard to create an environment where this child is going to be able to be their most true and genuine self and have a healthy environment wherever they go, whether 
they go to see either of their aunties, whether they're at home with their parents. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking about that. I'm still very scared of having any kids of my own. (laughs) And being Father's Day, I'd love you to check out one episode that featured a story from a young dad. And he was so vulnerable sharing about, you know, his fears. And that's in Legally Clueless episode 50. But here's a snippet of his story. I saw my wife deep in morning sickness. First of all, it's not morning sickness. eh? It's sickness. Perpetually throwing up, perpetually unwell. That's when I was like, yo. This baby is coming, eh? So I started getting scared. Then I'd look at my friends who've gone before me in terms of marriage and kids. I was like, we've, we've never talked about it. The guy that comes is like, ah, be easy, this is nothing. So I'm like, yeah, what do you mean it's nothing? <laughs> what, do you, what does that mean? In short, she was in labor for 36 hours. So on the day we were getting discharged, my mom drives behind us. Now, now we go to our place. So she prays for us. Then she's like, okay, guys, cheers. Both, eh? So I remember in that class, I was the youngest. It's fathers. <laughs> and grandfathers staying on it was a weekday thursdays 5 to 8 p.m men sitting wanting to stay on till 10 to just talk strangers because i remember i reached out on twitter in october randomly i was just like are there groups people know of which can offer some support for a young dad trying to trying to you know figure this thing out Yeah, check out Bruce's story in episode 50. This episode features a story about a single mom. We're about to get to that. Before we do, I want you to check out the song of the week. Ah, I can't believe I've not shared this song with you guys. It's on most of my playlists, especially the playlist I play when I'm trying to get myself to cry. (laughs) I told you guys. I cry a lot, but it makes me feel so much better afterwards, so I don't mind. It's by a lady called Laura Mvula. So Laura Mvula is a British singer. I know you like British, but that's her name. So she married a Zambian guy, hence the surname. And the name of the song is She. First, I'm going to put a link in the description to the music video, which was shot in South Africa. It features also a South African choir. It is so beautiful. It builds up so beautifully. It's a perfect song to listen to when you're on the brink of giving up and you're just done with this life's shit. It's a great song to listen to because it will make you understand that you have to keep moving. So check out the link to the song in the description box. But on 100 African Stories, I'm super excited about the story because it's from a Legally Clueless listener. Yes. And, you know, she sent through her story demo and we worked on it. I sent her some story prompts and then we recorded her very powerful story about being a single mom and I'll always remember that she said in her demo she wants to share that being a single mom is challenging but people always think it's only challenging in terms of finances and she's like that's the last thing that is challenging about being a single mom so it's story by Rose Kellen I hope you guys get inspired by it I definitely did 100 African stories there is no proper life that you live in university as a musician if I constantly just walked around feeling sorry for myself. I'm never going to get anything done. Uh, there was a bit of frustration in between all of that. I've been breaking my back for this company. Therapy is not for the weak or for the crazy. Stories from Africa. My name is Rose Kellen. I am 27 years old. I'm a single mom. I was born in Kenya, but raised in Tanzania. I currently live in Kenya. I became a mom in 2018. And uh, it, it first started in, uh, I knew I was pregnant in February. So I used to sleep in the afternoon like i'll take a nap randomly 
when I'm at work. And that kind of scared me because I was like, I never, ever take a nap ever in my life. So the first day I slept in the office, I was like, mm, something is wrong here. But then I wasn't that worried. I was like, it's nothing. Maybe I'm just tired. I've been too busy with work and stuff. But then one day I was going for lunch with my friend and I, I asked my house help, please take a photo of me. I was wearing this bodycon. I'm a big girl, but still. So I was wearing a bodycon, a black bodycon, I remember. And it was 23rd, February, 2018. So I'm there taking a photo. And then I look at the photo. I'm like, whoa, I'm pregnant. I was just 100% sure I'm pregnant. So I told my friend, like, yo, um, I think I'm pregnant. She was like, I know you're not pregnant. You're going to be okay, blah, blah, blah. So we go out for lunch and after having lunch, we pass by a chemist. I buy a pregnancy test and then I go back home. I take a pregnancy test and bam, I'm pregnant. Two lines come on that pregnant home testing kit thing. So it was, it was scary. Like I just started crying. I don't know why, but it was emotional for me at that time. And to be honest with you, I thought I would... Before I did the pregnancy test, like it's it's only natural for a young woman. I feel like it's okay, it's not natural, but you see, you have you think of the options you you have. Will I keep this? If I'm pregnant, will I keep this pregnancy, or will I terminate this pregnancy? And being you see, still living with my parents, although they're not in the country, but living under them, the thought of terminating the pregnancy did come to my head. But once I saw that I was pregnant. Like after the test, I just started crying. It was really emotional and I decided to keep my pregnancy. Uh, I did not tell anyone except my friend who knew. And she was very, very supportive. She was like, it's okay. We can handle this. And then, and now the, 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 the thing is my partner, we had broken up with my partner already before I knew I was pregnant because of some differences. We, it wasn't working. So after I knew I was pregnant, obviously I had to tell him that, you know what, I'm pregnant. He was okay with it. It was like, ah, it's okay. Uh, so he told his parents who were okay with it. And now it's, I started going for clinics and I used to go alone because my, the, my partner, we, we just couldn't like sit down and have any decent conversation or anything. So I was, I was, I was alone. And that, that didn't really matter, but then he was just not, I think he was just not ready to like play a part. So for like a month, I was, I was all alone and my parents, as I said, my parents are not in the country. So I called them one day, but, uh, when I, when I went for clinic, the doctor told me, you see, you have to tell, cause the doctor is my friend, my very good friend. So he told me, you have to tell your parents because as I said, I'm, I'm a big girl. So sometimes when you're big, uh, when the pregnancy is still small, you can get a miscarriage because if you have stress, if you're depressed, you're supposed to be chilled out for, for the first three months, for the first trimester, or you might lose the baby. So he told me the only way you can be chilled out and have peace is if you tell your parents. And I think it's the right thing to do. So I called my parents. I was like, can you guys come to Kenya? They live in Tanzania. So I was like, can you please come? We need to talk. They're like, okay, fine, we're coming. So they came. And when they came, I was, I was, I was, I was worried. I was really, really worried. So I didn't tell them anything for the first three days they were around. So I would go to work, I would come back home, would sit down and talk. I was really, really nervous on telling my parents. Reason being, my parents are strict Christians, not just like normal Christians. No, 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 no. Like super strict Christians and they are pastors. So. So you can imagine telling your super religious parents, pastors, that you are pregnant. 
out of the wedlock, you're not married or anything. So it was really, I was nervous. I was very, very scared. And you know, I've, I felt like I was embarrassing them or something. So it took time. But my mom was asking me like, are you okay? You don't look okay. Uh, what are you up to? You, you, just, you just look sad. So they stayed for like, uh, for the first one week it was one week yeah one week so one evening when we, when we were having bible study my dad preached about everything happens for a reason um about forgiveness and about having peace and knowing that everything works out no matter what so i was like okay this is just the perfect time to tell them that i'm pregnant and i thought i'll tell my dad first because i believed my mom would freak out yanni so i was like uh -uh, let me just tell my dad because i feel like he's more you know he can handle the situation better than my mom so after that we pray everyone goes to bed and then i tell my dad dad can i talk to you he's like okay so mommy let's talk so we sit down and i tell him dad i'm pregnant <laughs> my dad freaked out he freaked out and he was so so angry but my mom was in the kitchen so he, he she heard me she came she said ah i knew it and then just like that she went to sleep and i stayed there with my dad who was he was like so now that you're pregnant who is the father are you gonna get married to this person so i told him no i'm not gonna get married to this person i don't want to get married to this person and he was like so okay like, why would you do that? You know, that is wrong. He was really, really angry. Like he was mad at me. So he just shouted at me and then just stood up and left just like that. So I was, Hey, I was like, okay, what am I supposed to do? But I, 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 I believe they had, he had every right to be angry and disappointed at me. So I was not like, mad at him for acting like that. So it was okay. So the next day I woke up and my mom was just cool she even came to my room she's like hi mommy how are you I'm like i'm good mom she didn't ask me anything like she just like she just did everything as normal but now my dad my dad was angry he didn't talk to me actually for a couple of days after that my dad was just like he was just angry but my mom was very supportive that continued and uh after a few days i my mom was like you have to talk to your dad so yeah, we sat down with my dad and I talked to him. I told him, you know what, dad, uh, I know what I did was, was not, was not right, but it has happened and I'm going to be a mother. So just, I'm sorry. You have every right to be angry with me. It's okay, but just forgive me. And just, I just ask you to be there for me. And we talked about it and he was, he was okay. He forgave me. And yeah, I started going out for clinics alone now. Now that my parents knew I was more free with it. Like I was happier. So I, I would go for clinics all alone. And let me tell you something. It was, it was really, really hard, but I'm going to get there. When I was eight weeks pregnant, I had a terrible headache one night. Like it was really, really bad. So I went to hospital and then they told me my blood pressure is way too high. So I had to be admitted. Now this hospital, I won't say the name of the hospital, but I will never, ever go to that hospital. So this, this doctor comes and he's like, you, you're high blood pressure is too high and you know you can lose your baby and die and the baby will die so imagine a doctor telling you that and it's just there looking at me and it's a big hospital he's like you might die your daughter will die your baby i mean your your baby will die so you have to be very careful blah 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 i stayed there for one week and then before i left they had to check my baby's heartbeat and that was the most that was like it was amazing like the first time i heard her heartbeat was Oh, it was the best day of my life. Like I cried 
I'm even crying right now. <laughs> so it was really emotional. And yeah, the happiest time of my life was that point. I was like, oh, she's alive. So um, after that, I started going for clinics now to another hospital, a better hospital. So I would go alone and it was, it was hard. Like, <sighs> yeah, so I would go for clinics and you see, you go and everyone comes with their partner <sighs> yeah so everyone comes with their partner you see they're they're being held and i'm just alone <sighs> and the doctor would call my name like <sighs> rose kellen i just okay i'm a very bubbly person so even when seated there waiting for to see the the doctor i would talk to these people around me like hey how are you how many months are you like are you excited i would like have conversations with people as i wait to see the doctor so if they called my name i would just shoot up and be like yo i'm here like just to like cheer myself up i think and enjoy that the moment so yeah um after Oh, there's this one time a friend of mine who is Somali, a guy, was like, okay, so you won't be going alone. Let me be taking you for clinics. So that day he took me for clinics. And <laughs> um, I don't know what, like people were looking at us weird, especially like people from his part. So it was, yeah, but I felt really good. But then I was like, I don't come with me next time. I'm okay. I don't want people staring at us. In October, when I was going for my clinics, I was nine months so that day, my my house self was like, let me take you because don't go alone. Let me, let's go together. I was like, okay, fine, let's go. So there I am driving, going to, to for my normal clinics. But then she told me, let's carry your bags, like your clinic bags. You never know what's going to happen. So yeah, I was like, okay, fine, let's go. So I, I we drove there. And I remember I was dancing to this this song, this Genge Tone song. I don't remember it, but it was like, it was hitting that time. So I was like dancing and driving. And then I get to the hospital. The doctor's like, hi, Rose, how are you? Are you okay? I'm like, yeah. Then he's like, um, your weeks has, has, has passed. So let's check if you're ready. How are you feeling? I'm like, I'm feeling okay. So the doctor checks and I'm three centimeters. Is it open? He's like, you don't feel anything? I'm like, no, I don't feel anything. I'm good. I even drove all the way from my place to here. He's like, okay, you're supposed to go to like the labor ward any minute from now. So i i went and uh that's that was a long day now they started checking it was it was in the morning it was around 11 a.m and i stayed like that they they the doctor would come and check and i wasn't opening up like it was just like three centimeters then it was like six centimeters it's not opening up so um he was like okay something is not something is not right something is wrong here but then they were a bit reluctant so i'd call the nurse and ask them like what's happening I feel pain when I sleep on my left side, but when I sleep on my right side, I don't feel any pain. And the pain is not growing gradually because once the way is open, like you're supposed to feel pain, it's supposed to grow, but mine wasn't, it was just there. So uh, around midnight, a doctor comes to my room. He tries to to pop open, okay, I don't know. He uses a needle to like try and, um, okay, I don't know. I don't know the word in English, but like to bore the membrane so that the water goes out. But my membrane was too high. So he was like, okay, we can't do this. He then put pills to help with the labor. Nothing happened until the next morning. So the next morning, I felt like I was constipating. It was really painful. But then 
like it wasn't really that serious and but i felt something was wrong so my doctor i asked for my doctor my gynecologist my my gynecologist i asked for him so he comes to my room he's like why are you still here i saw you yesterday you're supposed to have this baby already so he checked he took he he now tried and like to bore my membrane so the water gushed out and it was green so when the water is green that means the baby has pooped inside the like inside you which is very dangerous for the child so it was like we have to do an emergency cs right away so that was around uh, 10 in the morning the next day i was taken to the to the operation room for an emergency cs the most memorable moment was when i heard my baby cry that was like it was it was amazing like i was so happy to just hear her cry. I was like, wow, she's okay. That was the most important thing. And I did not even care what is happening to me. So after I had my baby, um, so that day I slept with her and, uh, now when I slept with her the next morning, uh, the doc, the doctor came and checked and found out that I did not have enough breast milk. But then I noticed that my baby's eyes were yellow, but the doctor did not say anything about it. So I thought maybe it's just, it's nothing serious. So the next day when the doctor, the pediatrician and the the, the pediatrician came to check my baby. He was like, hey, your baby doesn't look fine. And uh, they checked her blood sugar. It was very, very low. So apparently, I thought I was breastfeeding her, but my milk wasn't enough. Like, it was just very, very little. So um, they were like, okay, we have to check. And she, she also looks like she has jaundice. So we have to check all that. So the doctor checked and saw that she she did have jaundice. But she was, he was like, no, it's, it doesn't look that serious. So you can go home with her and just give her let her sun bath every every morning to make sure that she gets better and the jaundice like disappears because of with the sun and stuff and come let's bring her back we check her after a week and see how she's doing so after a week i decided to go to gertrude's because i was like you know let me take her to the best for best hospital that deals with children so i take her there and when i take her there they they check her they check her because they have to take like her blood to look at the bilirubin that is something to do with jaundice and the doctor tells me like wow it is too high like she has to be admitted immediately she's only a week a week old she was so tiny so they're like we have to admit her at the main hospital so that that broke me like i was in so much pain because i still have the cs wound and here they are telling me that they have to admit her. They actually have to, because I wasn't in the main hospital, the main Gertrude's hospital. So they have to take her to the main hospital for her to be admitted. And they're like, we have to use an ambulance for that. I was like, wow, like she's, she's only one week and she's going to be in an ambulance. She's going to be admitted. So that really hit me hard. I called my parents. They came. They were in, they were in the country, but I'd not gone for clinics with them. So they came and um, the hospital Apparently the hospital, the, the main hospital was full. The beds were full. So I couldn't go there. I had to go to another hospital. So I went to another hospital where she was admitted. And that was like, whoo, it was really, really hard. So she was admitted and I was, she, 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 there's this blue UV machine they're put in when a child has jaundice. So she was put there. She would be put there the whole day with just pampas. I would just be called to be, to breastfeed her. I lost over 15 kgs. Like, <sighs> that was really, really hard. But I just had to be strong for her and fight for her. So she stayed there. I had, I met amazing friends in the hospital. The other moms who had their kids there, because I used to sleep there. But not, you know, the kid is in another room. 
in the children's room where they kept the nursery so i had a roommate in the hospital where it was me and her so she her child also had jaundice so she was very supportive because she had a husband she was like no it's okay we're here for you and you see in the nursery you can only go in if you're a mom or a dad not anyone else so you see them they would be chilling there the mom the dad <sighs> and i was alone so that was hey, that was really really hard <sighs> that was really really hard but i had to just be strong for my baby Okay, so after some time, she was she was okay. We said for about a week, she was better. She got better. Everything was okay. And yeah, we were we were now discharged from the hospital and I went back home. But after going back home, it was still very very hard. Like being a single mom, it's it's not even hard on you financially, but more. But more like emotionally because even if you're not like you don't want to be with a with a dad because honestly you like i'm okay but you need you need that support like when the child wakes up in the middle of the night i don't want to wake up the house help so i just like i'm like she's mine this is my baby so let me just let me just deal with her alone but then i had good friends who came and they stayed they slept over for like a week they would sleep in my room on the mattress down <sighs> So they really, really helped me. <sighs> so that continued. And uh, I just kept on fighting and just trying to be a good mom. I almost fell into depression. But then my friends came through for me. My parents came through for me. And I used to hate it when, whenever it started becoming dark. Like that was my, I don't know why. But like every time it was about to, to, to be dark, I would start feeling empty inside. and that. I almost, like, that almost broke me. But then, yeah, I had supportive people around me. They would encourage me. They would talk to me. They would just support me. So that's, that's how I dealt with that part. So after that phase, I had to, like, accept that I am a single mom. I'm alone. That's, like, the first thing I had to do, you know? Stop expecting anything from, like, from the baby daddy and just say and just say you know what you're in this alone you're the mom you're the dad you can do this like i just had to like talk to myself and encourage myself so i did that it took me time to use the word single mom it took me so much time to like say i am a single mom i felt kind of embarrassed you know saying that and whether you want to agree with me like if, even if people can say it out loudly but saying you're a single mom takes so much courage because of the stigma that comes with that title so i had to like just say you know what i am a single mom and i'm okay with it and i'm gonna deal with it and i'm just gonna be happy and take care of my daughter alone with you know with the help of family and friends but it's okay and like after i accepted that i started even loving myself i started even dressing better because at at that time when i was depressed if you saw me i looked homeless like you know when you're sad you also dress sad <laughs> so i had to be strong and i became strong i started enjoying my like being a mom i started loving it and yeah i started doing the best i could so it actually made me a better person. It made me a stronger person. 
made me happier and I just started going for things that I want and things that I love and making sure that my baby's okay. She is one, one year and a couple of months. Is it eight months? I stopped counting. <laughs> Um, she's very adventurous. She's, uh, she's stubborn, but I love that. She's, I see myself in her so much. She's strong. She, if she, she can't talk right now, but like she can, she's going to come and be like, mom, and take you to what she wants and points out like, mm, mm, like she just, she just makes me want to become better. And she's just bubbly and charming. And I can see so much of myself in her. So I'm, I'm sure she's going to be okay. But then I'm also scared. That when she grows up and asks about her father, that kind of scares me. But I'm like, you know what? It's okay. We're going to deal with that when that time comes. He's not ready, which is fine. It's not okay, but it's also okay. You know, you can't force somebody to be a father. Because everyone, anyone can be a father, but not everyone can be a dad. So I'm like, it's okay. To other single moms out there who are going through what I went through, I just want to tell them that it's going to be okay, that they should just be strong, and they should make sure that they are surrounded by people who love them and care about them. And it's scary. It's really, really scary being a single mom, doing it alone. But you can do it. You're going to want to cry, and it's okay to cry. You can actually cry. I, was, I, I would put my daughter down sometimes, go to the bathroom, cry and cry and cry and then you know i'd be like you know it's okay now time to go back and be a mom so it's okay to break out to break down and cry sometimes it's okay to feel like you're you're not doing the right thing but you are and you're the best thing your baby can ever ever ask for and they love you no matter what and you're important and everything's gonna be okay that's like the biggest thing it's gonna be okay catch our next african stories in the next episode wasn't that just such a beautiful story i was telling her as we were recording it that even the moments where she got emotional i could still feel and hear her bubbly personality just sipping through and you can hear like the happiness and love she has for her child when she starts talking about how old her child is and just her character and personality traits. Yeah, I really, really love that story. And I just want to send, again, a big shout out to all single moms, a fist bump because it is Father's Day, to the fathers who are present and active in their children's lives and are trying. And a hug to those who experience mad dad envy. I'm so thankful that my best friend Val made me aware of such a thing. Yeah, it must, especially when everybody's talking about, oh, my father is so great, my father is this, no, no, it must be just ugh, pretty triggering. So just a heads up, you can share your story as well on an episode of Legally Clueless. It is really simple. You just need to send a one-minute WhatsApp audio note telling me a bit about the story that you want to share to the Legally Clueless hotline number, which is a plus 254-768-628-790. And I will get back to you. I'll send you some story prompts. And then we're going to record the story remotely because Corona. <laughs> but also it just means wherever you are in the world, you can share your story on this podcast. You can also on the very same hotline numbers send through links to songs that you would love to share with us. And I could put those songs as a song of the week. And a special shout out to the person who has been chatting me in French. <laughs> On the podcast hotline, not sending a story demo, not sending music, just bonsoirs, bonjours. <laughs> 
Shout out to you. You're really actually making my entire day. And then, of course, remember to follow the podcast on Instagram, which is at Legally Clueless Podcast. And that's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.